0: the new money review podcast. I'm Paul Amory, editor of new money review. In our last podcast called the new financial investigators, we spoke to Philip Gradwell, chief economist at Chainalysis, which is one of a group of fast growing technology companies, analysing activity on cryptocurrency networks and drawing conclusions about who's involved in these networks, what they're doing, and what the nature of their activity is. In this podcast, I am delighted to speak to Marion Müller, who is a compliance consultant working on cryptocurrencies. Marion was formerly involved in risk control and know your customer work at Amazon, and he brings that experience to his advisory work with cryptocurrency businesses, financial institutions, and law enforcement agencies. So, Marion, thank you very much for joining the New Money Review podcast. Uh, could you start by explaining what Bitpliance does, your company?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for having me on as well. Um, so we help companies that have exposure to virtual currencies with all of their compliance needs, mostly focused on financial and crime investigations, but touching everything from securities law to overall compliance strategy. Uh, one thing that I'm working on next is training material that covers crypto crime in more general, so more of a foundational course on on cryptocurrencies that will hopefully help educate Um, banks and and law enforcement agencies on on the fundamentals of how to approach financial crime, Um, more in the overall context of virtual currencies and the dark web, uh, things like that.
0: Okay, so what kind of uh, clients do you work with?
1: Mostly cryptocurrency exchanges um, and law enforcement agencies. Um, But as cryptocurrency branches out, uh, I imagine that will be more of your traditional financial institutions as well.
0: Okay, great. And uh, what is your background personally, and how did you get into this area of activity? Yeah,
1: so my background is a decent mix of crypto and compliance, um, which isn't, I guess, that unique anymore, but certainly was when I founded a bit clients, um, two years ago. Because before fintech companies started getting big funding rounds um, a few years ago, and, and certainly before the, the 2017 bull run, Um, It was basically just bankers with compliance experience. I was lucky because I made a move to to Amazon. Um, I worked there in London for four years. Uh, It was kind of a phase of of massive expansion for them. Um, And at the time, Amazon were just throwing data and engineering resources at us. Uh, So yeah, that was exciting, being able to help actually build up some of the systems and processes from the ground up um, without too many compromises, which is... Relatively rare. Um, and then London fintech companies started taking off, and the um, crypto bull run happened in, in the second half of 2017, as you know. Um, and yeah, suddenly you had all these exciting startups making lots of money that um, had a need for, for building out their compliance functions, um, but didn't really want to <laughs> hire bankers. So I, I saw it as a unique opportunity. Um, to join one of these startups because for them there was only really yeah, maybe PayPal, Amazon, one or two others that um, they could trust to have that uh, culture fit. And and my fascination with brick crypto has, has been since before even the, the 2013 bull run. Um, yeah, started out quite deeply involved in, in some online communities um, around Bitcoin and Dogecoin back in the day. So yeah, once I saw the opportunity to work within space day-to-day, I took it.
0: Marion, what would you say is the impact of the FATF travel rule on the cryptocurrency market? It's due to come into force in June 2020, and it places an onus on service providers in virtual assets to keep track of who they're dealing with.
1: Yeah, there's not much of an impact yet. Um, It will impact exchanges the most, but we're not really seeing enforcement actions at the moment because most of the major exchanges are working with FATF on that. but yeah, obviously the effect of that, I think we'll see a move more towards non-custodial wallets. Um, and in my personal opinion, will will help push crime a bit further underground, so to speak. Um, because with this travel rule, it essentially requires exchanges to, uh, that are sending to other regulated entities um, to essentially have a technology conversation uh, within that transaction. So if you're sending from, let's say, Coinbase to Bitstamp, um, Coinbase will have to confirm that that is a Bitstamp account and make sure that that is the same owner of that wallet. So while in the short term it might help with new scams and things like this, it will be a big lift for exchanges both on a um, technological level, but also raises some issues kind of on a on a regulatory level and on a crime level.
0: So how are cryptocurrency exchanges complying with the travel rule or intending to comply?
1: Yeah, it's difficult. Um, I don't think anyone's compliant so far. Um, From what I'm seeing, nobody really wants to adopt one of the solutions that um, external service providers uh, are touting. So like a lot of these blockchain monitoring companies are uh, are saying that they found the solution to the travel rule. Everyone wants to be the solution to the travel rule. Um, But implementing one of these would set a bad precedent. So what we're seeing uh, is, is some of the major exchanges beginning to work together to try and build their own solution. Um, but obviously there's a lot of technical challenges that come with that. Um, the earliest that I've seen so far is, is Coinbase. They've implemented an early version. And there was another exchange I used recently where you have a similar system. There's kind of a drop down menu now when you're with- withdrawing your funds. So you select if you're sending funds to another exchange and and whether the wallet belongs to you. So I think we'll see an expansion of of some information similar to that, but it doesn't have the functionality yet of communicating with the exchange and it doesn't meet the the FinCEN guidance. Um, And so, yes, I think we're still quite away.
0: Could you talk, uh, Marion, more broadly about what the potential problems are uh, with applying compliance approaches from the traditional financial system, which I guess uh, maybe it's uh, maybe a little bit simplistic to summarize this as this is, the, the world is divided into, into good guys and bad guys. And if you're a good guy, you can use the banking system. If a bad guy, you, you can't. I mean, this is, it seems quite a black and white, white approach. Um, what, are the, what are the challenges in applying that uh, approach to cryptocurrencies? I'm not completely against using that, what uh, already works in the traditional
1: financial space in crypto. It's I guess just that not that much is working. Um, and it's just a different system overall. Cryptocurrencies don't really work like traditional currencies or markets. Um, a completely different ethos as well, where you kind of have this open, borderless, 24-7 uh, currency and markets. So traditional banking and market regulations just don't really make sense. And, This ties in with the travel rule as well. So people will essentially always find workarounds. And um, the travel rule is quite basic in that sense. So all it needs is a non-custodial wallet as a hop in between. So I'm kind of pessimistic about the actual effectiveness in in fighting financial crime. Uh, So as I touched upon before, it it might reduce scams in the short term. So like a lot of these scams that we're seeing um, in terms of investment scams, where people are acting as brokers on... Other people's behalf, often elderly people are targets or vulnerable people, uh, and then sent to another exchange which maybe doesn't have the same KYC requirements, and then and then cashed out. So things like that, you might see a reduction in the short term. Um, but yeah, these we're talking about technology companies, right? So exchanges are already building solutions to tackle this kind of fraud and and these investment scams so in my mind it would make more sense to to push for that for there be more of a communication between regulators and exchanges to to tackle the actual issues themselves rather than pushing this narrative of um square peg round hole old regulations onto the new technology
0: um so just, just Marion, just so i understand um just to com- completely clarify what you're saying so you're, you're saying that if um as opposed to one exchange transferring digital assets to another, you mentioned, you know, as an example, Coinbase to Bitstamp. If you put a non-custodial wallet in between the two exchanges, uh, then you basically are getting around the travel rule.
1: That's right, yeah. So it's, it's a very basic workaround, and um, it reduces financial oversight, right? So all a criminal then has to do is, is send money to a non-custodial wallet, and then there's no opportunity for the exchange to guarantee that that uh, those funds are owned by the criminal as well. Um, so I think it is a little bit short-sighted. And I think even FinCEN at this point recognized that they underestimated the lift needed to implement it and also the kind of workarounds, loopholes uh, that you'll see. So definitely all the solutions at the moment are suboptimal. Um and yeah, I'd, I'd much rather see us actually tackling the few of of these scams and fraud rather than um, trying to implement the solution that will impact regular people and in inconvenience exchanges and regular customers, where the actual criminals will just find workarounds for it.
0: So, um, from a from a, a technological perspective, what in your view is the right way of regulating cryptocurrency?
1: Yeah, that's a a big question. Um, I think it's too early to say. Uh, One thing that I would point people towards is how tech-friendly the regulation um, was that the U.S. put out under Clinton in, in the early days of the Internet and how that really led to the U.S. being at the forefront of this new Internet economy. And It's definitely the right question. I don't have any answers, but at this point, I think like the Internet cryptocurrencies are inevitable. So there's a risk of stifling innovation. Um, and it'd be a lot more productive approaching the people that actually are creating these innovations on how to tackle regulation. Um, it would be a lot more productive and and help in ensuring that we are not left behind. Um, but yeah, essentially my, my take is that it should be regulated like cash. Um, cash is kind of being phased out. Uh, But in my mind, we need a replacement. And it isn't illegal because there's due diligence laws in place, right? So banks know who their customer is when they're depositing um, and know the typologies of what suspicious deposits and withdrawals look like. Uh, So that's not really the tech perspective. I think tech perspective is too early to say. Um, But just, um, yeah, from a compliance standpoint, I think we should be looking at it in a similar way to cash.
0: Could you talk more generally about what is the, the what are the limits to the reach of um, governments, regulators, legal systems when it comes to cryptocurrencies? Because we we have concepts in cryptocurrency that, that are a bit different from the traditional financial system. We have decentralized exchanges. We've had plenty of examples of of existing exchanges changing their registration from one country to another to try and stay one you know what what, what looks like an attempt to stay one step ahead of the regulators uh, and. Um, you know, in certain cases, there are lawsuits outstanding against uh, cryptocurrency exchanges, and, and they, they seem to continue, you know, quite happily doing business. Whereas in the traditional system, you know, if you're a bank and the U.S. Treasury says, you know, pay us five billion dollars in fines, they just cough up because they have to. They have to pay that as a, the kind of the cost of doing business. What, what, what where's the, where's the limit to the, you know, the the the, um, the reach or the powers of the traditional supervisory system?
1: Yeah, similar to the traditional space, uh, there'll always be the unregulated element of it. So kind of the genie's out of the bottle at this point with cryptocurrencies, and there'll they'll always be alternatives in terms of decentralized currencies or privacy coins, this kind of thing. So for better or for worse, I think uh, from my standpoint, there'll eventually be a much bigger separation between this kind of regulated and unregulated space within crypto. Uh, So as you see with the travel rule, kind of a push towards just regulated entities working within regulated entities. Um, So yeah, you'll always be able to transact peer-to-peer with no oversight, the same way we can can give someone cash, but now it's just become more global and digital, right? But um, So with more control of the on-ramps and off-ramps, I can see it getting a lot more difficult to transact with a regulated entity where... They maybe don't know the owner of the originating wallet address. So, for example, the um, the example of an non custodial wallet sending to an exchange. So, yeah, in an in an ideal world where you would have sensible global approaches to this, but um, China will do their their thing, and same with the US and Russia. Um, the, the British Virgin Islands will do their thing, and so this this concept of a borderless global digital currency doesn't really mesh with um, all of these nations' individual political and economic goals and the individual regulations.
0: Does the increasing uh, likelihood of a kind of a gap between um, the regulated and non-regulated segments of the cryptocurrency market mean we're going to see increasing price differential between coins that are perceived as clean and coins that are perceived as tainted in some way?
1: Yeah, this is definitely something that's come to the forefront, especially with the rise of blockchain analytics tools. And fungibility is always touted as one of the, the core attributes of Bitcoin and also of cash, I guess. But increasingly we're seeing companies implementing these these monitoring and analytics tools, which essentially classifies the risk of certain wallet addresses and transactions. Um, and so it kind of raises the question should cash should Bitcoin Bitcoin be fungible, um, or is it just because we didn't have easy ways of, of tracking it before? Um, but certainly, it's led to things like Wasabi Wallet as a main example, or Samurai Wallet that both use different implementations of, of CoinJoin, which is a technology that tumbles your coins automatically in every transaction um, for increased privacy, being deemed as risky by some of these analytics firms, probably as a as a result of pressure from uh, law enforcement that want to understand these technologies so in my mind if there's not a decent effort in convincing regulators that privacy should be protected we'll see a lot more of this of the kind of opinion that wanting your transactions to be private is suspicious in itself um and that the idea of taint kind of gets into the territory of china's social credit a bit or um Almost Black Mirror esque world, Um, and it's actually interesting that China's move in their complete opposite direction in terms of zero financial privacy, and them coming out with um, a central bank issued uh, yuan actually seems to be the thing that is pushing the US to consider privacy in their approach. Recently, uh, Jerome Powell, who's the the Fed chairman, was discussing. central bank issued stable coins recently and he said that an open ledger system wouldn't work well because of the lack of privacy um so yeah there's there's that's the optimistic take
0: so you mentioned that um the uh, that law enforcement agencies may be putting pressure on exchanges to stop dealing with uh mixer wallets like uh samurai and wasabi we've seen some news stories saying that uh, from users of those wallets that they've had problems moving their coins uh, I think from exchanges to, to the wallets or so maybe they've, they've been blocked by certain exchanges what um, what might we see in response either from the people managing cryptocurrency protocols or, or you know other other um, innovators developers of new technology what can what, what might they do in response to try and increase levels of transaction privacy
1: Yeah, I don't think there'll be too much pressure uh, from exchanges to block those transactions for now because the technology isn't illegal and um, the people that are creating the technology are protected uh, from that standpoint. So actually creating the technology itself isn't illegal. It's just the act of money laundering itself. And that's where you see some of the enforcement actions against centralized mixing services, such as best, Best Mixer recently, because they were actually advertising to darknet market vendors. Um, whereas this is more on the law enforcement side. I think they're trying to understand the technology and um, probably at the moment, a large part of it is illicit activity, just based on the fact that more than 50% of, of content on the dark web is, is illicit in nature. Um, But eventually, uh, as adoption increases, I think you'll see increased adoption in these privacy wallets as well. And so basically what they're trying to figure out now is can they crack CoinJoin? Can they keep on top of these things? And yeah, to a certain extent, um, exchanges that are dealing in um, more privacy transactions. So let's say one exchange gets 20% of their funds from mixers and CoinJoin wallets versus the average of... 3%, Three percent, let's say as an example. Then, um, yeah, that exchange is probably viewed as more risky by law enforcement. Uh, I don't think you'll see any actions because, again, it's not illegal. Um, but certainly, um, I think we'll maybe be moving towards that direction.
0: So it's a gray area. But it's not it's not illegal to develop a mixer wallet. It's just that's just a, a use of tech, particular use of technology. It's it comes down to the interpretation of local law enforcement or local exchanges as to whether they are happy to deal with those entities.
1: That's right. Yeah. And I think you'll might see some pressure in terms of privacy coins and privacy wallets. to exchanges potentially in uh, certain jurisdictions, um, uh, you're already seeing uh, some exchanges delisting coins like Monero and potentially you could see that expanded to uh, rejecting transactions from um wallets such as, as Wasabi and uh, Samurai? Hopefully not. Um, I, I, I do think that they're very useful tools and um, uh, financial privacy is important. Um, but from a risk perspective, they're, they're definitely seen as more risky than regulated entities.
0: So, so to summarize what you're saying, the, the, the issue of taint or the issue of fungibility, whether one coin is worth less than another because of where it's been in the past, that is still not resolved. It's still uh, an outstanding question.
1: Yeah, and I think we'll only see it really resolved once you have default privacy um, in a coin. Um, and I think it's similar to cash. Like I say, um, even even cash isn't really fungible at this point because of the increase in detection systems with serial numbers and banks being able to flag those. Um, increased detection methods. So yeah, I, th- I think we'll see an increase in in that rhetoric of. If you are choosing to have your transactions as private and potentially there's an additional fee or inconvenience to do so, then that potentially is a suspicious um, prerequisite, but eventually I think the the only alternative is to go towards default privacy.
0: Okay, and let's talk about the role of the blockchain analysis companies like Chainalysis, Elliptic, their competitors. Um, they are, seem to be playing an increasingly prominent role in the cryptocurrency markets. Uh, they, they have, they're have well-funded. They have a lot of uh, um, clients amongst law enforcement agencies as well as exchanges and other entities. Um, in, obviously, they're, they're, what they do is designed to work, uh, you know, to throw light on what's going on in, in cryptocurrency. But how similar is what they do to the kinds of monitoring tools that exist in the traditional financial system?
1: Yeah, really good question. Um, I think it's different in the fact that the traditional system has so many loopholes and offshore jurisdictions offering financial secrecy. Uh, In previous work that I did, pretty much any money trail that I was chasing down would end up with a a trust fund in the British Virgin Islands or something uh, with a local nominee director and, and no information on beneficial owners because of the financial secrecy so in that sense being able to view a public ledger of transactions is a law enforcement dream by comparison but if if cryptocurrency is in its early days then then so is blockchain analytics but again i mean criminals will always be one step ahead
0: so so what you're saying is that the nature of cryptocurrency blockchains the transparency of transaction histories if it were used in the right way, it could actually be, you know, beneficial to society because, you know, everybody would be, uh, kind of, you know, notwithstanding people's requirements for personal privacy, this actually could be a, you know, a public uh, tool because it would show everybody what everybody's been doing. Uh, whereas in the traditional financial system, uh, often you run into a dead end when you're looking for money trails.
1: Right. Exactly. Um, if nobody was exempt of course. So you'd have to look at it in perspective. It's all hypothetical. Cryptocurrency is still pretty much an experiment. Um, But if it gains adoption, then yeah, we'll see more advanced analytics tools, but you'll still have the regulatory gaps. So basically when it comes to the technology itself, I hear two very opposing opinions. And one's obviously coming from the law enforcement side and the companies that are creating these technologies, which is but it's adding a layer of trust. You can kind of get an idea of who you're transacting with and it helps catch criminals. Um, And the other side is, is the more libertarian crypto take um, like Andreas Antonopoulos, for example, who you had in your podcast, I think who's very against um, uh, this and kind of sees it as dystopian and evil. Um, So it's a bit more nuanced than that. There's, There's now no doubt that these firms have been useful in law enforcement work and, there's a lot of criminals in jail because of how far we've come in recent years in terms of analytics. Um, one example that I always use is, um, this child porn ring on the darknet called welcome to video. Uh, I think it was about 40 arrests that were made. So obviously it's a good thing to have less child exploiters out in the world. Um, but even there, that work was retroactive, so most of the transactions were 2015, 2016 uh, before people realized how public the transactions is and how there's you know this public historical record of transactions. And so since then, we've we've seen typologies involved uh, uh, evolve, I should say. So
0: yeah, so let, let me let me ask you about that because I mean, you, you, th- you 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 know, you mentioned that there are lots of ways for people to hide what they're doing, uh, both in the traditional system through Offshore locations, different types of legal structure, uh, in cryptocurrencies. Perhaps people have re- now realised that they're uh, less anonymous than they might have uh, guessed a few years ago when they first heard about the technology. But where, it, and, and of course, there's still you know the scope for if you're a drug dealer, you can still you know transact in hundred dollar bills and move large volumes of cash around uh, in your private jet. I mean, what are the? You mentioned money laundering typologies. What are the? Where is this all heading? What are the money laundering typologies of the future and what should we be looking out for?
1: Yeah, so I think we'll definitely see an expansion of privacy coins and and privacy coins being used in um, illegal activity. So at the moment, it's a very small percentage of illicit activity because there's so little adoption that just using the technology by itself is already risky. It's far more easy to uh, just use cash and cash is still the best privacy coin out there. Um, But as the technology develops, I think, yeah, you'll definitely see an increase in that Um, things like Nero with their ring signatures uh, that'll see an increased use because essentially you have all the features of, of cash, kind of the anonymity, um, but you don't no longer need to put it in a suitcase and go on a private jet. Uh, You just need a few clicks of the mouse and it achieves the same result. you see an increase already in in North Korea mining Monero, so yeah, it's it's always a balance between um, these money laundering typologies and general financial privacy, right? Uh, so I think the the alternative is um, a mix between the two, something like Schnorr signatures or which is a Bitcoin. improvement uh, proposal that was was recently put through, which if it gets implemented, it will increase privacy on-chain on on the Bitcoin blockchain. Um, In terms of privacy coins, there's the Liquid Network by Blockstream uh, where you can use Tetheron, which is USDT, the stablecoin from uh, Bitfinex. Uh, And so that hides the transaction amount. So it doesn't hide the addresses, but it hides the transaction amount. So you're less likely to be targeted based on the amount that you're sending. Um, and yeah, there's a few other interesting projects out there um, that are kind of looking at, at those kind of solutions. And eventually I think, yeah, it will have to be a balance of the two.
0: And and, and more broadly, do you think um, cryptocurrencies get a fair rap when it comes to the way they're portrayed in the mainstream press? I mean, you, you've pointed out that there are plenty of avenues for uh Hiding illicitly earned money in the traditional financial system, and argue there's arguably there's a growth in secrecy jurisdictions uh, in certain parts of the world. But I mean, whereas cryptocurrencies, by their name, kind of give you the impression of being something a bit secretive, um, do you think there's a level playing field, or we still, or are we still far from that?
1: Cryptocurrencies are still such a small um, drop in the ocean compared to the traditional money system. so. When you're looking at a crime as well, it's also a similarly small percentage. Most of it is just speculation at the moment in terms of the price movements and uh, the the volume that we're seeing in terms of transactions. So it's too early to say which one will get adopted and what the future money laundering typologies will look like. But yeah, I think it's an inevitability that we're moving towards um, virtual currencies and digital assets. So it's good to kind of get a technological approach early on um, so that criminals don't get too much of a head start. Uh, and again, things like sensible regulation of privacy coins, of, um, of stable coins with, with privacy models. Um, there's, there's a few other interesting applications of that out there. Um, forks of Monero that have uh, USD... Uh, backed equivalents, Um, obviously things like Libra and uh, Circle and Coinbase's collaboration on the Center Consortium um, that are potentially bringing out a basket of currencies. Um, So that I think will be the more interesting applications and the stuff that is more likely to be adopted by the general public, uh, where it's stable currencies that are a reasonable hedge. Against the traditional financial system.
0: Okay, um, and we, we started off by talking about the um, the travel rule, and you mentioned that uh, it's it's still quite unclear how um, virtual asset service providers are going to be complying with that. Uh, what other you know key legal or regulatory or tech questions are we facing in two thousand and twenty? What are you you know what are you keeping your eye on so we can also pay attention?
1: Yeah. There's a, there's a few things that I'm looking at. Um, from my personal interest, it's uh, basket currencies and um, privacy coin implementations of uh, stable coins. Um, so things like uh, zero knowledge DAI. Um, there's a thing called Aztec Pro- protocol, which is looking at that. So um, the protocol of, of Zcash, which is another privacy coin on Dai, which is a stablecoin backed by uh, Ethereum, um, Haven, which is a, a similar project. Um, in terms of compliance and, and tech, you'll see a continuation of trying to figure out the travel rule. It'll be interesting to see where that goes and whether FinCEN makes any concessions. Um, another big one is is the implementation of the fifth animal uh, uh, fifth AMLB in Europe. Uh, and how the different jurisdictions are, are figuring that one out. Um, and the other interesting discussion is, yeah, central bank need stable coins. I think more and more governments will be looking at uh, what they can do to get ahead in that space, uh, to not get left behind with um, China and um, Russia recently authorized one as well. Um, so yeah, that's that's the key question that I'm, I'm looking at is these kind of central bank issues, stable coins and basket currencies from private companies.
0: Yeah, great. Um, Marion, thank you very much for your time. It's been a very interesting chat.
1: Yeah, thanks for having me on. Uh, your podcast is a, a really good resource and had many speakers on, so I'm glad to have been a part of it.
0: Thank you very much. Thank you for listening to this new money review podcast, The Future of Money in 30 Minutes. Money is changing fast, it's moving more quickly and cheaply, it's becoming more intelligent and more transparent. At the same time, it's becoming more complex and, for many of us, more annoying. If you'd like to support New Money Review, you can do so in two ways. On the right hand side of our homepage, newmoneyreview.com, you can find a link to our Patreon account, P A T R E O N forward slash New Money Review. There you can make a regular payment to support us or if you'd like to make a donation in cryptocurrency, you can find our Bitcoin and Ethereum addresses also on the right hand side of our homepage.